Well, we, uh, we're coming towards the end of our study in the Psalms. We're going to finish next week. Uh, if you are in town for Thanksgiving or you're having family in, please come to the gathering. It's going to be one of our, our most interactive gatherings. We're going to take all that we've learned in the Psalms about lament and about Thanksgiving and about praise, and we're going to put it into practice together. We're going to do it around a meal. We're going to have food together. We're going to take communion together. It's going to be like an extended like Thanksgiving holiday without the drama or tryptophan. You're like, you know, you're going to be done with turkey. So we're just going to do something that's really family-centered. So I encourage you to come for that. Uh, but in light of the beauty of our world, I want to read from Psalm 48. So we're just going to read it all together and think about its implications. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights above. Praise Him all his angels, praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, hey, appropriate, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, uh, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all faithful servants, the um, all the faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart, praise the Lord. So, okay, we have praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So we're going to look at it, but there are moments in life that we are meant to go, wow. And that's one of those breathtaking moments yesterday at, at Seaside. And we all have them, whether you've gone on a hike and you saw a peak in the distance and thought, like, wow. Whether you've been to Multnomah Falls or some other place where the you go to the top and you look over and the water's going down. And you're like, wow, what am I doing here? You know, like, you, you go, wow. Uh, whether it's the beauty of, of the spring when the flowers bloom, whether it's a, a person that you see, especially if you're single, um, and you're like, wow. You know, if you're married, you better go wow. Yeah, otherwise, she goes, wow. Anyway, um, there are just moments in life where you think this is, this is above. This is, this is beautiful. And that's part of how we were created. Uh, if you've just come, welcome if you're visiting. Uh, we are in week six of a series in the Psalms. And we have been looking at the variety. In order to understand the Psalms, if you're new, I'm going to do a quick recap. It's one book made up of 150 poems. And the poems tell one large story of the work of God. But in order to understand the story and how it fits... When you read any of the 150 Psalms, you first need to see how they fit 
what their expression is because not all songs are alike, not all poems are alike, not all psalms are alike. So we looked at some of the variety. They're the royal psalms. They're psalms about a king, a ruler, a leader. And when we hear about a leader like David or anyone else, we're supposed to think about the leadership of God in our life. There are the psalms of lament. We, we went through those. A huge bulk of the 150 are God, why? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why do I feel this way? Why do I look this way? Why has this happened to me? God, where are you? That's part of the human experience. And in order to understand the story, you don't just read the lament because you think, wow, is life depressing? Well, it can be, but it isn't always that way because there are the Psalms of Thanksgiving. The Psalms of Thanksgiving are those that reflect on God's specific work. We looked at those last week. God comes in and does something, and it is above what we deserve. It is above what we should get, and we get it anyway. It's grace. And what do we do when we receive grace? The things that we don't deserve, we say thank you. So the Psalms hit the emotions of the human experience. Now, more than lament, more than thanksgiving, more than royal, more than the others, there are the Psalms of praise. And when I think of the Psalms, we usually think of praise. And so this morning, it's funny and fitting that the end of the Psalms are just overdose of praise. So if you follow the reading plan, which will be done this coming week when we end, you'll notice at the beginning of the Psalms, there are lots of lament, why, mixed with some praise. By the time you get to the end, specifically Psalms 146 that we started with, all the way to Psalm 150, they are filled filled with exuberant praise. So we start with why, What's going on? God, come as king. And then you end the Psalms with, he's come. And when God becomes clear to you, the right result will be praise. Now, if you're a student or like to look at the background of stuff, before we look at Psalm 148, let's look at Psalms 146 through 150 in its entirety. And here's why. You can read Psalm 146 through 150 as one long psalm. They're chopped up into five, but they could be read as simply one. Here's how we know this. Psalm 146, look back at it, says, praise the Lord. And then a second time, praise the Lord, my soul. Now jump to Psalm 150, just a page over or two. Psalm 150, verse six, let everything that has breath praise The Lord, praise the Lord. Artists put things in places for a reason. And those who wrote the Psalms are artists. They they use the art of words. And so what you do is you repeat things for a purpose. So if you're listening to a song, you have the, the, the verses are different, but the chorus is usually repeated. Why? Because the bulk of the meaning of the song is in The chorus, what's repeated. Same thing with the Psalms. So what you have in Psalm 146 through Psalm 150, if you want to get technical, those scholars here, it's called a double inclusio. Do you feel intelligent? You should. There you go, Jim, you are. Actually, Jim is intelligent. but, but, But it's a double inclusio. That is the praise the Lord twice becomes kind of like a quotation mark. And at the end of Psalm 150, the praise the Lord twice means everything included in the middle should ring loud in your ears. And then look at Psalms 146 to 150, kind of big picture. Just go back to 146. One, 
Praise the Lord. End of verse 10. What does it say? Anyone? Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Beth. Someone's alive. Psalm 147 begins with what? All right. End of Psalm 147. Beginning of Psalm 148. End of Psalm 148. Psalm 149. I want you to see this. End of Psalm 149. Psalm 150. And by the end of Psalm 150, you're like, I'm tired. Leave me alone. Okay. So praise the Lord. Double praise the Lord. 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 Double praise the Lord at the end. You think he's trying to make a point here. Now, the point at the end is supposed to annoy you, which I could see by your nonverbals, you already are, okay? It's supposed to get so loud in your ears. Remember, they're writing these, these things on parchment. They don't have highlighter pens. They don't have bold. So they're trying to make it really loud. And so they say it again. The end of the Psalms should be the end of your situation. Hear me. Whatever you and I are going through right now, at the end of it all, it should lead you back to praise the Lord. You say, oh, Jose, I'm going through hell right now. At the end of your hellish experience, God's design for you is to come out the other end, see him at work, and praise the Lord. Lament, trouble, heartache are real, but they are not as real as God. God is more real than the reality of my pain and suffering. And so what we're going to see as we come towards the end, next Sunday we're going to look at Psalm 149 and 150. But let's take just the bulk of our time and look back at Psalm 148 and what it means to praise. And then next week we'll finish with 149 and 50. Praise. What is praise? The word is hallel, from which we get the word hallelujah. So if you're reading the beginning of Psalm 148, praise the Lord is the English term, but if you look at your little margin thing or whatever, mine has letter B, and it says Hebrew, hallelujah, also in verse 14. It starts with the word hallelujah. And hallel is boasting, right, or enlarging or glorifying to shine or to highlight. So what does it mean for us to praise? To praise, uh, in, in the Hebrew thought, in, in English it may mean something else. But in the Hebrew thought, it is to boast about or make big. It, this, wow, this is great, but actually this is even greater than I thought. It's not that the object becomes larger, it just becomes larger to me. Uh, if I look at Mount Hood, whether I'm far or close, and I think, wow, that is amazing, it is no different than when it was covered in the clouds. It didn't change. Mount Hood is Mount Hood, but it can become bigger to me, and it can become larger in my view. It can become more glorious, more majestic. The more I see it, the more I'm enamored by it. The sm- you, ever, you drive towards Mount Hood, don't you feel small? Like, I don't know. I don't feel bigger about myself. And you fly. When you fly in and out of PDX, you fly right by Mount Hood, and you think, I am a nobody. That's what I think. I'm a nobody compared to that huge chunk of ice. Uh, it's huge. And so praise is about finding something, someone, and it becoming larger to you. Or another view of it is to glory or to shine. Um, let me use an example because we get it. A, a couple gets engaged. Oh, Like, you know, you ever just see a, a couple that's just young and in love and ignorant of all things real. <laughs> 
And they're just, they're just, they're just and, 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 and then you hear the announcement first on Instagram, and then you see them in person, and then, and then what, do you, what do we go for? You know, it's, it's tacky of us, but we look at her hand. I, it, it's just the way we do it. And, then she, and if, she, if, if she has a ring, if not, he's in trouble, but if she has a ring, and, and then and, and she just holds it out. And you just oh. Like, and you look at a piece of like mineral or whatever it is. Like, what is a, di- what is a diamond? No, it's expensive, but what is it? It's just compressed carbon or whatever it is. Like, it's, it's just a rock. Put a pebble on there. It's much cheaper. Get over it. Move on. Get married. Yeah. Now, some of you always say, are you that foolish? I'm making a point. That rock is just like any other rock until you take a black backdrop and you take that rock next to your, from your yard, rock, and you shine light on that rock. And you shine light on your little pebble rock and you will see the majestic difference. And as the light bounces off of that rock, that rock is more valuable than the pebble in your backyard. And that is the idea of praise. Is that we shine light, we see, we enlarge our view, we boast about a God who's bigger and greater. So here's the big deal about praise. When we praise, when we hallel, when we say hallelujah, uh, praise be to the Lord, uh, Yahweh is the proper name for God in Hebrew. So it's praise, hallel, Yah, the Lord, hallelujah. Praise be to the Lord. When we say that, what are we really saying? We are not making God any different than he already is. God is, right? So it's not like God becomes larger in the universe when you recognize it. It's no, his multifaceted diamondness just becomes more beautiful to you. So praise is the response the right response when we get a glimpse of who God is. So when it's cloudy, I can't see Mount Hood. But when I'm driving on TV highway or anywhere else and Hood comes into view, I've, I've lived here for so many years and I've seen it so many times. But maybe I'm just, maybe it's just me. Whenever I see it with the sun beaming on it, I'm like, God, you are amazing. And when you drive into downtown, why would they build that dumb building that blocks the view? Anyway, that's just a side note. But I do think that every time, like, who would allow that? Okay, I digress. All right. So, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Now, who should praise God? That is the question. And we're going to ask it of ourselves, and some of this seems obvious, but I think it will be helpful to us to get a bigger view of praise so that we can engage in it in a more meaningful way. Psalm 148, 1. Praise the Lord. And then verses 1 through 7 tell us, Who should halal? Now, what is praise? Praise involves, let's just jump back one slide if you would. Praise involves highlighting the value of the one praise. So this is kind of a summary. Praise for us involves highlighting the value. I I see God for who he is and I highlight the value of the one. Now, what we're going to see at the end is, is God, Yahweh, is not the only one being praised. And this is a challenge. It's not like everyone's praising the true God, the creator God. Praise is happening all the time. We are valuing, highlighting, 
emphasizing all sorts of things, but it has been misdirected. So for us, we want to see how to highlight the value of God. Now, how do we do it? Who should praise? The heavens should praise. Look at verses 1 through 7. The heavens should praise. Or I should say 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And notice the progression. It starts up in the sky. From the heavens, from the heights above, all his angels who are metaphorically seen as up. The heavenly host, things above. Sun, up. Moon, up. Shining stars, up. Highest heavens, up. Waters above the skies, a.k.a. clouds, up. And then summary, verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord for, and here's why. At his command, they were created, and he, Yahweh, God, established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will not pass away. So who should praise? Interestingly enough, using poetic language, the psalmist is saying, well, the angels should, and we know that, and the clouds should, and the skies above, and the stars, and the sun, and the moon, and everything that is up. Why? Psalm 148 is an allusion back to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, God creates everything with the spoken word. That's why it says it in verse 6. He established, verse 5. He, at his command, they were created. So God did not have Play-Doh and make a mock-up and, and create it. God is so God that he spoke what did not exist into existence. Everything that you and I create, we create. And I love art and I love design and I love people who are creative. The challenge is you are not like God. Because all you can take is what is and make it something else. Only God can take things that don't exist and create out of what does not exist. There is no one like God. So when we see beauty in the world, whether it's in architecture, whether it's in design, whether it's new Nike kicks, whether whatever it is that you are wearing or have or have seen, whether it's in a home or it's in nature, all of these things are multifaceted Diamond expressions of God. That's how we should praise. We should highlight not the artist. We should highlight the artist. And there's a big difference. Everything that has been made has been spoken to existence by God. So everything in the heavens should say it. So in a very real way, the sun does not have a tongue or lips. But the sun in the sky praises, highlights, gives glory to, enlarges our view of who God is. The stars, the clouds, the rolling in of the tide and the oceans, the waterfalls, all of these things, they don't have language like we have, but they do have a way of speaking. They speak to the glory of the Creator. The question is, do I see them as beautiful expressions of the great Creator, or do I just see it as Bang! Now, I'm not here to give a, any theory of evolution. I could care less about that argument in our context. What I am here to say is if you do not see what God has made as God made, then you're not giving praise to the one who made all things. And it is our response as his creation, the right response is to see everything beautiful as expressions of the beautiful creator. And when we do not see it that way, my friends, we are holding back what God deserves.
and God deserves to be praised. So it's not just the heavens. Look at verse 7. It's also the earth. Praise the Lord from the earth. And so the artist goes from up to down. He says, you great sea creatures, you know, free willy or whatever, all ocean depths, lightning, hail, snow, clouds, stormy winds, mountains, hills, verse 9, fruit trees, cedars, wild animals, and all cattle. Like, why cattle? I have no idea. Like, but he decided to include cattle. Small creatures, flying birds. And then, then he goes from all the animal and the created creatures to the creatures with a brain that create other things, like humans, kings of the earth, and all nations, princes, rulers on the earth, young men, women, old men, children. Uh, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone Verse 13, is exalted his splendors above the earth and the heavens. So not only should nature show us and the things that are, but when we look to the ground, when we look up, we see God. When we look around us, we see the handiwork of God. And so the, the rightful response is when you see what God has done is to not exalt the people who have done something with God's creation, but we shouldn't make much of them. We should make much of God who is the one who spoke it all into existence. So if you think that's not enough, let's look at verse 14. So, so above, heavens, yes, the earth, yes. And then his people, us, God's people, should be filled with praise. Verse 14, he has raised up for his people a horn, the people of the, and pr the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. So he starts with the big and he works his way down. Heaven, starry host, yes. The things you see on the ground, we look around, yes. And then us, uh, the nation of Israel, the people that God had called out. For you and I, those who follow Jesus, we should be the ones who recognize God for who he is and we should, no matter what we are going through, did any of this give a clause to if things are going well? Did any of this have to do with any of your circumstance? None of it. Now the laments, the Psalms do speak of my pain, my suffering. There's a right time to ask God, why? I don't know why. God, I don't know. But at the end of it all, when you see what God, when you see Mount Hood, what God has made, and you see what you're going through, at the tail end, your situation should be seen in, what, in light of what God has made and what God has done. And in the end, it should lead to praise. Even if I don't feel like it, what God has made, what God has done, what God is doing, what God is about, makes him worthy of my praise. It's not like he's bigger. He's already huge. But is he huge to me? And so praise is my response to the bigness of God in my world. And, and, and this, this one really got me this week. Verse 14. He's raised up for his people a horn. God made a horn, therefore I should praise him. Isn't that amazing? Horn. Awkward. Did you know, like, I'm like, what? <laughs> so God made a horn, therefore all of Israel. What, what in the world is he talking about a horn? Why should we praise God? Yes, he made the earth. Yes, he made the creatures. Yes, he made you. Yes, he made the kings, the rulers, the nations. God, God's done all that. And yet it's messed up a bit because our rebellion and sin has left a dirty mark on God's world. And so, yes, there are tsunamis. I'm convinced there were none at the beginning of time. 
Yes, there, there's all sorts of horrific aspects of nature, and I think those are just reflections of the reality of our sin and our brokenness. And, and now today, there's global warming and climate, all sorts of goofiness. Don't blame God. Blame our own idiocy. There, so the world has been marred. It's not all that it will be when God remakes it and, and says it's new, but it's still beautiful, and it's still lovely, and it's still a reflection of his greatness. So he made a horn, though, and that's the real reason we should praise him. Now, what is a horn all about? In the ancient Near East, in the time of the Psalms, a king did not wear a gold crown with jewels. That's like Middle Ages. Think back to the movie Brave. Did you see Brave? Come on, people. What's wrong with you? See Brave? And then there's the Vikings, right? Am I the only one who saw this movie? The Brave, the Vikings. And so the kings, what do they have? They have their crowns, but they have their what? Horns. In the ancient Near East, in the ancient civilizations, kings wore a crown with real animal horns. Because you know what? When you go in the woods and there's you and your little piddly bow and arrow, and you come up on a thousand pound buck or whatever, do they go to a thousand pounds? Just, just pretend. I'm not a hunter. If I want meat, I go to the supermarket. So, so <laughs> I'm telling the truth. So if you, if, you, if you go out in the wild and you get your little bow and arrow and then this big thing just blows its nostrils at you, you know what? You should rightfully say, that thing's the king and I need to get out of here. Or do your little eh and try to knock him out. <laughs> the king is like the strong animal in the woods. He rules. And so, so what is the reason that he should praise the Lord? He says, verse 14, he has raised up for his people a horn, a mighty, strong ruler king, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Why should we praise the Lord? Here's the good news. Because God has left us a king. So not only did God make the heavens, make Mount Hood, make all the waterfalls, all the beauty, not only did he make the sea creatures, not only did he make men and women beautiful, he made us a people with a king. So if you want to know God, you can have God rule you, lead you, guide you as a strong, mighty, powerful king. The reason God is worthy of our praise is because he has not left us to ourselves, but he's made us a people and he's come to rule us as a king. Now, one little quote from the New Testament that's going to help bring color in the story of the coming of Jesus. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And by the way, you should not watch Christmas movies till after Thanksgiving. I digress. Um, amen. So um, now that I made you mad, in Luke 1, as we get to the gospel story, because you've you got to do Thanksgiving first. So his father, Zechariah, speaking of John the Baptist, when John the Baptist comes, his father, Zechariah, was filled with who? The Holy Spirit. So God's Spirit comes on Zechariah and he prophesies what? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Who is going to come and who is John the Baptist going to announce? A Savior whose horn has been raised up as salvation. Jesus is the horn, Jesus is the coming king and the ruling king. And by the way, Zechariah, who is a man of God, is quoting from what? Psalms. 
He's quoting from Psalm 89, verse 17, which speaks of the horn of salvation. So the idea that God is worthy of our praise because he's come to lead us should be the most important reason that you and I come to God with praise. Now, a couple of thoughts here to pull it all together. Um, why, why praise? Why, why should we come to a gathering ready, hear me, ready to praise? Why should we, at the end of the teaching, respond in praise? Why, when you wake up in the morning on Monday and you're getting ready for a long work week, why should your mouth be full of praise? When your kids come home and things don't go exactly according to plan, should you be filled with praise? When you get together with some friends and enjoy a good meal or a night out and some fun and laughter, should you be full of praise? Why should we be a people of praise? Two thoughts. Number one, we're created for it. We were made for it. Psalm 148 is filled with praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What I forgot to tell you it's kind of important, is that every time in Psalm 148 where it says, praise the Lord, it is not a suggestion, it's a command. The Bible is full of what they call imperatives. Imperatives are you better do because it's right. Not a command and if you don't, you're a jerk, but no, like this is what you were made to do. Husbands, love your wives. It's a command. Why? Command. Why? Because you were made for it. Husbands, love your wives. You were made by God to love your wives. So you know what? You ought to do what you're made for. And for us, we were made by God in the image of God. You read Genesis 1 and 2, and you realize that God created and spoke everything into existence, but he does not speak mankind into existence. Metaphorically speaking, he takes the dust of the ground. Is it literal dust that he formed together? I don't kind of look like dust. I don't know how it works, but he takes what's already created and in his image, he makes you. And so there's a God imprint. God's DNA is not on the buck in the field, but God's DNA is on you because no other thing in creation is it said in scripture is made in his likeness and image other than you, other than me. We have the mark of God. So God is worthy of praise. Because he's put his mark on us. I'm like him in some way. And now I'm not like him in a lot of ways. And that's why I need Jesus. Because Jesus has come and is God and is man. God has come in the person of Jesus so that now, in light of my own brokenness, my own sinfulness, and my own bent towards praising myself and my own things, God can reshape me into a person who does what I was made to do, and you and I were made to praise God because he has come. And in the person of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, oh my gosh, we're commanded to praise the Lord because he's come and he's now filled you with his own Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God not living in your cul-de-sac. When you came to this gathering this morning, if you live in a cul-de-sac, God did not stay in your cul-de-sac. God was with you in your vehicle or in your car or as you walked, and God was with you when you walked in, and God is with you as you walk out, we forget that God is with us. And because God is with me, he's worthy of me highlighting, boasting, enlarging who he is in my world. He is worth my praise. Why? Praise the Lord. Psalm 148 includes every conceivable thing. Who should praise God? Everything up everything I could see, and everything within me. 
Everything that has breath should praise the Lord. Now, the reality is we don't all praise the Lord. And there lies this challenge. I said, I said at the beginning, every one of us was made to praise, to give glory, to boast in something, but not everyone boasts in God. Not everyone gives credit back to God. And the beauty of art is that art should shine light on the artist. When you see someone who creates something, it's beautiful. And then you look back at the artist and say, wow. In our situation, when you look at your life and God's work, you shouldn't look at yourself or your people, your parents or anyone else. All of them are smaller artists, lowercase a. When you see anything in your life that is beauty and reflection of what is great, you should look back at the capital A artist and say, this was God. We should give credit back to God for what God has done in our world. So everyone should praise God. Now, what do we praise God for? A couple of things. It's right here in the text. We should praise God for who he is. His power, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his name. He's a savior, a comforter, a friend, a judge. He's Abba, Father. We should praise him for what he's done in the past. And that's where this psalm really leans. He's made these things. Stars and the moon. He's given a scripture. Jesus has come and done things on the earth. He's done things in my world. The others, I know he's done work for what he's doing now. What is God doing in your world right now is provision. We have something. We have. We own. We we enjoy. We should praise him for those things. He answers prayer. We should praise him for what he's going to do in the future, in this life, and when he comes again, and in the, in the age to come when he reshapes the entire universe and he reshapes those who follow him and we're with the Lord forever and forever we will give praise. We will think much. We will highlight. We will glorify God. When you think of all those things right now in your mind, if you're a follower of Jesus, your mind should be going rapid fire with things that you should praise God for right here and right now. And that is why it is a command because not because God wants to squash us, but he knows that he, how he made us and he made us bent to worship. So at 1.05 p.m., just north of here in Seattle, at a huge stadium, there will be praise. And a team from a far, far place called the Cardinals will come and they will be battling on the field of glory with said Seahawks. Some of us don't care, but that just work with me here. And at 105, 80 some odd thousand plus people will lift up their hands in praise. And they will glory in men in tights with pads and helmets, crashing each other for the glory of a bloated paycheck. I, now, I'm, I, I love athletics, and I'm not, I'm not down in football at all. But every Blazer game is an act of worship, and every football game is an act of worship. And on the high school field, on the sidelines, there are acts of worship. We give glory. We enlarge. We praise all sorts of things. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't follow your team. Absolutely not. What I'm saying is, number one, we were created to praise but number two, and don't miss this part, we can misdirect our praise. That's the point. So we give glory to a team that does well and we rejoice in 
athletes who can take this human body and do something that I cannot do. And I give them credit for that. And I say, wow, look at those arms. Look at those legs. Look at what they can do. And that's all right. But if I give glory and praise to people and I neglect God, that, my friends, is the essence of sin. They say, what? The essence of sin, in my understanding, is a misdirected glory. Think of Think of Satan, the angel of light. What caused his demise? He was God's most glorious created being, and he was created to lead the angels in praise. What did he do? He misdirected the glory he should be giving to God, and he put it on himself. Maybe I should get a little bit of worship here. And whenever we misdirect glory, whenever we misdirect praise, the essence and the heart of sin, my friends, is when we don't give back to God what is due his name. And you say, well, where do you get that? Turn with me one last passage before we respond in praise through singing. Romans chapter one. I want us to see this because this is so at the heart of our faith. I don't want you to miss this. This is so at the heart of what it means to call yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower. I don't want you to miss this. Romans chapter one. And we're going to read from verse 18 through to verse 22. It starts negative, I'll admit it here, but I'm reading in the middle of Paul's thought. He's talking about the, what's going to happen to people who sin. The wrath of God. That is the right judgment. Wrath is not a bad thing. If there is a rapist and they are caught and they are brought into court and the judge says, you are a rapist, and you are going to go to XYZ punishment, is that judge evil? No. He is kind, and he's good, and he's pouring out wrath. Those who sin deserve judgment, and those who get the judgment shouldn't look back at the judge and say, you were wrong. So, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And what's the wickedness? Since what they... What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Think Psalm 148. God has shown us who he is. God has made known who he is and all of creation speaks to the glory of God and no one has an excuse. Verse 40. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, what we don't know, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So Paul's argument why God is faithful to judge sinning people is that God has shown his invisible qualities in his creation and everyone has seen God's handiwork. They've seen God's diamond, but they have not given the creator of the diamond his due credit. So we do what we want and we live the way we want and we ignore God and we say, God, we don't care. We're going to be our own God. We reflect praise from God, the creator, to ourselves and say, I did it and I deserve what I get. Now, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were dark, darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God 
for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So instead of, instead of worshiping the creator God, that we worship things that we've seen. So you see it now, although I live in a community with lots of Asians who have physical idols like this object, I'm going to burn incense to this object as an act of worship. Those in the West don't understand that. But in the East, it's still done. Ours is more subtle. We worship our bank account. We worship an athlete. We, wor we worship all sorts of things. We give praise to all sorts of things. It's not an object as in like a Buddha or another physical object, but it's an object nonetheless. We deflect praise from God to created things. And, and Paul's saying God has the right to judge. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So, the heart of sin is misdirected praise. According to Romans 1, Psalm 148 and a ton of other scripture, the heart, the center of sin is not, not and hear this, not bad behavior. Someone say, well, you did that. And that's a sin. You told that lie. You stole, whatever. We think of action as sin. And the heart of it, according to the scripture, is, is more deep and more profound. The heart of sin is not sinful action. Sinful action comes from sinful heart. A sinful heart is misdirecting glory from God back to other things. And so this morning, all of us, let's just be honest, we're all guilty of misdirected praise. We're all guilty. So I'm not saying like, did you not give praise to God? Like, duh, we all have missed it. Yet, God has given us today. So in light of all that's been said, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is first and foremost, foremost, in order to truly give praise to God, you must come under the leadership of Jesus. Hear me. Oh, don't miss this. Because God's greatest expression is not Mount Hood. God's greatest expression of love to us is his son. And God sent his son, who is the direct representative. If you've seen Jesus, the son, you've seen the father. Jesus said it himself. So if you choose not to follow Jesus, you have chosen to misdirect your praise. You've put it in other religions, thoughts, yoga, whatever. Whatever it is for you, your worship, if you do not worship Jesus, you have misdirected worship. And the Bible describes that as idolatry. But God's given us today. And today you've heard the name of Jesus. And today we've spoken of the work of Jesus. Jesus comes to pay our sin in full. And because he's God, he can. And because he's man, he can stand in our place. And now Jesus is risen, and Jesus is worth all of our praise, our affection, our, our allegiance. Jesus is worth everything. So this morning, God brought you here to remind you that you were created by Jesus for Jesus. So if you do not worship Jesus, I'm not being mean-spirited. I'm being honest. If you're not following and worshiping Jesus, then you're missing your very reason for existence. Can I be that brash, that bombastic? But that is the truth. And so, because you were created by Jesus for Jesus, you can know God through Jesus. 
and then reorient your life to praise. Now, if you're already following him, what is the takeaway? Give praise to Jesus. In the way we sing, in the way we live, in the words that we speak, there's so many expressions. It's not two hours on a Sunday. Every day is a great day to say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you're not yet following Jesus, you need to. I'm begging you, please follow Jesus today, today.